Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you have your Bible open to Exodus chapter 12, as our kiddos make it out to make their way out, some of those are just older children. <laughs> our kiddos make it uh, make their way out to the kids' time, kids' worship this morning. If you would stand with me as I read from Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's families, one animal per family. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You should apportion the animal according to what each will eat. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take, from, uh, may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where they eat them. They are to eat the meat that night. They should eat it roasted over the fire along with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or cooked in boiling water, but only roasted over fire. Its head as well as its legs and inner organs. You must not leave any of it until morning. Any part of it left until morning, you must burn. Here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt." Father, thank you for your word this morning, and may it speak clearly to us. Father, we come to you with humble hearts. I pray our ears and our hearts are open to receive this word this morning. Father, what we do not know, I pray you will teach us. And as we hear from the text this morning, Lord, I pray what we are not, you will make us. In Jesus' name, for your glory and our good, amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. We love a good story, yes? You love a good story? I am not your storyteller. I will always goof up some part of the story. Anyway, but we love, I love a good story. I love a good and true story. I, I really enjoy movies that are based on a true story. Um, those seem to really tell better stories than what uh, some made-up thing can ever be. But 
When we read our story this morning from the narrative of God's word, we come to a moment in the history of Israel that is life-changing, and the importance of the, of the Passover um, cannot be uh, overstated. This is a significant moment, if not the most, certainly one of the most uh, significant moments for Israel. This is a pivotal, life-changing, nation-changing moment where the movement of God's people will finally take action and he will begin moving them to the promised land. This is a moment where God acted in history for the redemption and salvation of his people. That even though at times there is opposition to God's plan, there's opposition to God's people, even from God's people, there's opposition to God's prophet Moses, we Come to this moment, if you've been reading along with us, where you've read through the the plagues, you've read through how God is hardening Pharaoh's heart and how Pharaoh is hardening his own heart and how it's all working together to get to this 10th and final plague where God is going to execute his wrath on sin and sinner. There is no difference there. But in that, he's gonna provide a way of escape. He's gonna provide a pathway to freedom for those who will trust in his word and trust in the path that he has set forward for them to find release from slavery. Going back to chapter seven, Moses and Aaron there begin to challenge Pharaoh. Of course, sent by God, not on their own initiative, but they're following God's call upon their life. God tells Moses that, Moses, you will be like a God to Pharaoh. Aaron, you will be his prophet. And Moses is going to communicate God's word, and Aaron will explain God's word. And in chapter 7, you see how right there in the middle, the the plagues begin to take off with the very first plague. But it's very clear throughout this part of the story how God is at work. If you go back to chapter 7 and read, you will find it is God who is acting, not Moses. He said, I have made you like a God. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will lay my hand upon Egypt. God is the one taking the initiative, taking the leadership here to to get his people released from Pharaoh. And it is God who will unleash that tenth and final plague upon the land. All to the point of verse five, where God says, they will know that I am the Lord. If you go back even further to Exodus chapter five, There we read at the beginning of chapter five, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness, so that they can worship me in the wilderness. And here's how Pharaoh responded in verse two. He says, who is this Lord? Who is this Lord that I should obey him in the wilderness? I don't know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh is acting in open defiance to the God of Israel, to Yahweh, to the I Am. You'll remember that that name carries weight. Names in the Old Testament always carry weight. We would understand that by saying the title Mr. President or someday maybe Mrs. President, General so-and-so. We we understand it carries weight, it carries authority. Doctor so-and-so carries authority. You know, even for Forrest, it was Lieutenant Dan. It carried authority throughout his whole life, right? Names mean that. 
But this God that Moses is speaking of to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, I don't know who that is. That name means nothing to me. Uh, I'm not going to do what he says. But Proverbs 29 verse 1 tells us, one who becomes stiff-necked after many reprimands will be shattered instantly beyond recovery. And you see that proverb, that little bit of wisdom play out in Pharaoh's life in this moment. We, we know people like this. We, you've probably have had some encounters where you're trying to share maybe some truth from God's word with somebody who's struggling and they say, well, you know, what gives that God or your God uh, the right to speak into my life? What gives you that, that kind of authority? You know, where is that coming from? Uh, certainly for Pharaoh, that's his attitude. So in the middle of chapter seven, the plagues begin and they go uh, the first nine and it seems to be increasing in intensity and there's all kind, there's a cycle there. That, we won't go through that this morning. That's great information, though, for your own study to go back and, and understand how God is, is working his angles and working the, the plagues. But I will say this, that each plague is an attack, uh, an offensive, rather, against the Egyptian uh, religious system and their way of life. So you see the Egyptians are what's called pantheists. They believe that nature... Uh, it partakes, this is the, let me just read the definition so I don't mess it up. Nature is thought to partake of the divine, okay? The divine is in all things in nature. Anything that exists that you see is a manifestation of or a part of or an extension of a God. So to see or touch or hear or taste is to come into contact with a God because all things are in some way essentially part of a God or goddess. If you go back and Look into Egyptian history. You will see they have a God for everything. And they look weird, okay? They're just, they're different. But they're different because they think there's a part of everything that belongs to a God or a goddess. They're also polytheists, which means more than one. Like, they, they have multiple gods and goddesses. And so there are only 10 plagues, but they certainly would have had more than just 10 gods. Everything you see, though, is, a, is, is receiving the offensive from the one true and living God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what we also see in these plagues, especially the last one, is that in this freedom, in this releasing people from bondage and slavery, the bigger picture here is that this is a judgment against sin and sinners, there is death in the 10th plague. There is sin in our life, which the Bible tells us leads to death. Let's look at this final plague. In chapter 11, which I haven't read yet, but it's there, he says in verse one, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. One more plague, the final plague. It's going to be the worst of the worst. Listen, the sin of Pharaoh's heart is pride. The sin of Pharaoh's heart is rejection of God and rejection of his word and not listening to his prophet. His heart is hardened because he will not release God's people. God acts to harden his heart. Pharaoh acts to harden your heart. Listen, if you intentionally disobey God, the only good that will come out of that is nothing. There is no good that will come out of that. Nothing. Your heart will grow harder to the Lord. The next time he asks you and you reject him, your heart will only get harder. 
You can only reject the Lord so many times before you're broken beyond repair. Sin will ruin you. In fact, it has ruined us, every single one of us. When you live in defiance before God, you will be ruined. Pharaoh is going to be undone in this final plague. He has refused the word of God. He has refused to listen to the prophet of God, the spokesman, Moses. And every single time, he says no. But there is one time he actually repents. But then he repents of his repentance. And he goes back on his word. And his heart is hardened even more. Proverbs 29 Verse 1 is absolutely not a joke. Listen to the message paraphrase. People who hate discipline and only get more stubborn, there will come a day when life tumbles in and they break, but then it will be too late to help them. You reject the discipline of God. You reject his reproof, his correction in your life. You don't listen to him. You reject what he's saying. You ignore what he's saying. There's going to come a day when you got to pay the price. And when that day comes, it's too late. But that is not this day, for grace is still here for you. Until Jesus returns, you still have an opportunity to find forgiveness for sin, to find the mercy that he gave us at the cross. Exodus chapter 11, verse 4. This is what the Lord says. About midnight, here's God's plan. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl. Listen, what he's saying there, from the penthouse to the outhouse, everybody's going to be touched by death. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or how much money you have. Everyone is going to be touched by death on this night. The firstborn of every livestock or the firstborn of the family. There's going to be a great cry of anguish throughout all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Now, there's going to be a way that that distinction is made. But what we understand at this point, coming into the last plague, is that God's judgment is real. His warning through Moses for Pharaoh was real. His warning today from the pulpits and from those who share the gospel to those who have not yet received the blood of Christ, or received his grace and mercy through the blood of Christ. That warning is still real. It's not a fake news story. It's still real that his judgment is still coming. And yet, still to this day, his protection is still there. And so is freedom through Christ. Pharaoh will know who Yahweh is. And this is how Israel will know who God is. God has a plan, and that protection. That salvation, if you will, from certain death in this final plague, because remember, death is going to visit every home. In order for Israel to be passed over, they had to trust in the substitute. Now, who do you think is guilty in this story? Is it only Pharaoh? Is it Pharaoh in Egypt? Or is there someone else guilty in this story? There is someone else guilty in this story, Egypt and Israel alike. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. Egypt and Israel are in sin. How is, how is Israel in sin in this moment? 
There's three ways Kent Hughes pointed out, and I'll, I'll share him with, with you his thoughts on this, and I think they're valid. The first one is that Israel rejected the word of God's prophet. That was Moses. In Exodus chapter five, after Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and told him exactly what he needed to do, and he rejected that, Moses and Aaron come back to God's people. Pharaoh hammers down on Israel even more. The workload's gonna increase, and it's gonna get even harder. They're gonna take the straw away. They gotta find their own straw now, right? So here is the response of Israel, or the people of God, when Moses comes back to them. He says, May the Lord take note of you and judge. They said to them, Moses and Aaron, because you have made us reek to Pharaoh and his officials, putting a sword in their hands to kill us. Thanks a lot, Moses. Not only is our work harder, but even more so, now Pharaoh wants to take us out. Thanks a lot. You've made us smell like dogs. You've made us stink in front of Pharaoh. They rejected the word of God's prophet. Even at this point, God's people weren't listening to God's prophet. They were also guilty of idolatry. It's not specifically mentioned here, but later on in Joshua 24, as the people of God had followed Joshua after Moses, Joshua leads them. Through all of that narrative of Joshua, at the end of his life, at the end of his leadership, Israel is wrapped up still in idolatry. And in verse 15, Joshua has to tell them, you need to choose whom you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, but it's, it's what they're having to choose between. Put away the idols and the gods of Egypt that God's people worshiped in Egypt. See, they brought them, they, they brought that out. Even though God had made a distinction, they still brought that and they're still wrapped up in idolatry. We do it too. We do it especially in the church still today. And then, just like us, they were also sinners by nature. They're human. Paul tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we need to go back and understand the wages of sin. God made a plan. God had a plan. He says in Exodus 12, verse 13, as he's going to execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, he says, the blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. God visited the houses of the Israelites too. He wasn't just out for the Egyptians. He visited them too. And if they don't follow God's plan, if they don't listen to Moses now, they will suffer just like the Egyptians. The point of all of this is that something or someone was going to face death. Friends, sin is a capital offense. Romans 3.9 says that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Listen to Romans 5.12. Paul wrote, just as sin entered the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin, death through sin, death because of sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sinned. Everyone in this room is included in that truth. The wages of sin is death, and Israel had a way out. But if 
in this critical moment, if they don't listen to the word of God, if they don't listen to God's man, Moses, they're going to find the same fate as Egypt. But God, in his great mercy, took that initiative to share through Moses the way that Israel would be spared in this judgment, in this final plague, that he, as he visited their home, here they would learn about salvation. Unlike the Egyptians, they would be saved by grace in this moment. You see, what's happening here is that God's people needed atonement. That sin needed to be atoned for. There needed to be some kind of payment, some kind of payment for that sin. And so God's plan in this moment would be that a lamb, an unblemished lamb, would need to be offered as a sacrifice for sin. We read through the opening of chapter 12, he says in verse 5, you must have an unblemished animal, a lamb or a goat, sheep or goats, either one. You keep it until the 14th day of the month and then you slaughter it. But it's verse 5 that's important. Without blemish. This whole entire story points us further to look to behold the Lamb of God. Just as John would say when he saw Jesus coming to the waters, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That sacrifice in Exodus 12 and, of course, the sacrifice of Christ, that acceptable sacrifice to God had to be perfect, without blemish, anything less is unacceptable. Moses will warn the people of Israel later when he's giving the law about the importance of the sacrifice without blemish. The lamb, the goat, or the firstborn without blemish, something was going to die that night. And God instructed him where to take the blood. You take the blood of the lamb and you put it on the doorpost and the lintels of the homes. And the important thing there is we're not painting everything red. It's that it's a distinguishing mark. I want you to underline that in your scriptures if you have it. It's a distinguishing mark, something that makes you different than the Egyptians. It's a display of faith. It's a public display of faith that this house is protected by the blood of God because God would see that blood and pass over the home and God would know that a sacrifice had been made for sin. And the firstborn would stay alive. That lamb is a simple reminder of a greater truth and promise. That lambs slain on this night are not adequate enough. They weren't. Which is why it points us forward to behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, Jesus Christ. Safety and salvation came by way of trusting in the substitute for Israel that night. Today, my friends, Safety, salvation, the forgiveness of sins comes the same way, not by trusting. And listen, we could have this stage covered in blood if we needed to, but it's not because the blood of the lamb covers us all. It covers us all. And we have to look to the lamb that God provided what he demanded, the perfect, absolute, once and for all sacrifice in Jesus Christ. He did it for Abraham and Isaac. That's why Abraham said that this place shall be called our God provides. Because he did. 
He provided the ram. Now he's providing Israel, the entire nation, a way to freedom. And today we find that freedom from sin in Jesus Christ. And if you want to meet God, you have to come on his terms. There's no other way around it. For Israel that night, it was the goat or a sheep, the unblemished. There's no other way. We couldn't offer the cat. If you're a cat lover, I'm sorry, but you know, I'm not. Peculiar people. I'm just, uh, let's see, I, I digress. But it had to be God's way, right? There's no other way. It had to be exactly the way He said it. And it's the same for us today. You got to come on His terms, and that is through the Lamb that He provides. Now, there's some other instructions that. That, that are important here. He says that you eat the meat that night and they, they eat it. It's roasted over an open barbecue, right? There's a reason we Texans love barbecues because God loves it. There's no sauce on it either. That's the way barbecue's supposed to be. But you gotta eat it all. All of it is to consumed and what is not consumed has to be burned. You're not taking it with you. There's no leftovers, Totally consumed. Listen, brothers and sisters, Christ was totally consumed at the cross in God's wrath. It consumed him, right? All of Christ. There was nothing left over. Everything, he gave everything for us at the cross. He suffered the wrath of God as he hung on the cross for our sin. Everything he endured, totally consumed it to the point of death. He gave everything. Symbolically, when we take the Lord's Supper, please hear me say symbolically. When we take the Lord's Supper, we eat the bread. It pictures consuming all of that sacrifice that he gave us, putting all of our trust in him and what he did and how he physically paid the price for us and how his blood cleanses us from sin. Now, they're also to be mixed with bitter herbs. That is, that is a simple reminder of the hardship and the bitterness of life in Egypt as they endured slavery over the generations. You know, when we worship, when we sing, it ought to be like bitter herbs reminding us of the great grace of God that has freed us from the bitterness of slavery to sin. In verse 11, they had to eat with shoes on because when God said, it's time to go, it's time to go, there's no way, oh, I don't like these, they don't match my robe. Let me go get the other ones. There's no time for that. They leave their, there's no time. It's time to go, it's time to go. We got to go now. And Pharaoh says, all right, get out of here, it's time. And God has set all of these commands up and he also commanded them to teach the next generation. That's why Passover is so important because now it's an annual event that they'll commemorate. Even in Jesus' day, even still today, Passover is observed. It's such a vital part of who they are. We teach the next generation after next generation. You know, a church that neglects the teaching of the next generation of the greatness of God is a church that's gonna be in the NFL. That's not for long if you follow my, my drift. If we neglect the next generation of teaching our children how important the greatness of God is and the extent that he went to show us grace and mercy is a church that will not last very long. Her doors will be closed if we neglect teaching the simple grace and mercy of God and how important it is to the life. Well, God executes his plan and it's carried out and there's a great wailing and, uh, across all of Egypt 
And in verse 29, that's where that begins to happen. The time had come and the Lord executed that tenth and final blow upon Egypt and upon sin and upon the, upon the leader of Pharaoh. From the palace of Pharaoh to the dungeons of his prisons, cries were heard from those who were waking up to find that the firstborn had been gone, was, was dead. No one escaped. You'll find there it says, there wasn't a house without someone dead. Friends, the blood on the doorpost worked. God saw the blood and passed over them. But what about that blood? Think about that blood for a moment. There is nothing but the blood of Jesus that can wash our sins away. Nothing but the blood. You see, that blood represented the taking of a life. It was a sign for both Israel and God. It was a sign that this current generation would honor year after year. They would tell the next generation how God redeemed them, how he rescued them, how he delivered them. The importance of the blood is crucial to the story. You see, God was coming in judgment that night and the only, only the blood of the substitute would work. The lamb that took the place of the firstborn. In that blood, there was a covering for their sin. There was a turning away of God's wrath. The big word there is called propitiation, a turning away of God's wrath. Hebrews 9.22 says, according to the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Year after year, the Passover observed Lambs were sacrificed in the tabernacle, later in the temple. But this all gave way to a more special, unique, and precious blood. There is nothing more precious than the blood of Jesus. There's not another way. Peter writes about perishable things like silver and gold. It's not going to work. Good works, it's not going to work. The distinguishing mark is the blood of Christ. You know, sometimes in church life, we might think that it's our pastor's preaching. Uh, y'all don't gotta worry about that. Teaching, our care for the community, our outreach, our missions, our ministries that our church offers that makes us distinguished from all the others, our worship style, perhaps its location, our size, our budgets, our buildings that make us unique. But when I look at scripture, the only thing that makes us unique is the distinguishing mark of the blood of Christ. That's what makes us different. Listen to the hope, the assurance that we have in Christ. Hebrews chapter nine, verse 12. That he, that is Jesus, entered the most holy place once and for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal Redemption. You see, he paid for that with his blood. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from dead works so that we can serve the living God? At least for the moment, in Exodus 12, the Israelites trusted in the blood that night. It's God's way of delivering them that they trusted what God said. By faith, they executed the plan, trusting his word, and 
he delivered. God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith, that is Jesus Christ. That word propitiation, a a turning away, a putting away of God's wrath by the blood of Jesus. Such an important concept, such an important truth to change our life today. To know that what Christ did for you on the cross turns away God's wrath from you. Because that day, that final, even more severe judgment than what we see in Exodus 12 is coming. And yet, when we look into the Revelation, we see the Lamb of God being worshipped. The Lamb of God. The only one worthy to open the scrolls and to read from them is the Lamb of God slain for our sins. The great R.G. Lee summed it up this way in his sermon called Payday Someday. He said, the only way I know for any man to escape the sinner's payday is through Christ Jesus, who took the sinner's place upon the cross, becoming for all sinners all that God must judge, that sinners through faith in Christ Jesus might become all that God cannot judge. And I wonder if you know him. Have you trusted in God's plan? Have you trusted in the blood of Christ? The blood of Christ that cleanses you and me from all unrighteousness. I wonder if you have.